You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Between You and Me, the podcast where we talk about the things that hurt, heal, and change us in the church and in the Christian music industry. As always, I am your host, Jess Morris, an Australian slash American hybrid currently living in Australia who is going back to Nashville very soon. Before we dive into today's episode, can I ask you guys for a quick favor? Can you go on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever you like, and go and give Between You and Me a rating? Four or five stars would be awesome because it increases our visibility. Thank you times 100 million. Please do not think that any of your support, even by listening to this, is taken for granted. I just love this community that we're building and I love that so many people resonate with it. So thank you for being on board. Also, a heads up to our friends who are listening today on See Me World Radio. You guys have been tuning in since episode one and I love that. But today's episode is a little bit different because we have done a special edit for you. If you would like to hear the whole episode and you really like our guest, Brady Toops, Make sure that you go and check us out on the internet so you can hear the entire episode. That is at betweenyouandmepod.com or just search us on your favorite podcast platform. Enough about that. Let's get to today's guests. Oh, guys, I'm so excited about this. Anyone who knows me knows that I love reality TV way too much. I mean, we know it's an issue, but when it comes to The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, It's a type of reality TV show that we all love to have an opinion on. We think we know how the relationship should turn out and who should go on what date. And I mean, it's a whole lot of fun. Trust me, I watch every Australian season, so there is no judgment there at all. But a really interesting factor about the American series is that the Christian faith has become a real key player in this thing. You have Ben Higgins and you have like a current bachelorette and so many people going into the show, who say, I am a Christian, I go to church. We know those two things don't always go together, but bear with me. And I'm looking for that in a partner. So how does that work on a reality TV show that revolves around booze and kissing? The cool thing is that I sort of got to talk a little bit about that today with the one and only Brady Troops. Before you go jumping to conclusions, Brady is not a quote-unquote reality TV star. He is a legit musician and he is very talented. He was on the 2015 series of The Bachelorette, but before that, he actually entered the music industry in about 2007 and has been touring across the world. His latest album, Tried and True, is pretty wonderful and that was dropped in 2017. And we have a really great chat today about his drive for success. He's an Enneagram 3. We talk about his deconstruction of faith. Like a lot of us, he was a church kid and he's grown up and gone, whoa, what just happened with the world? So we talk a little bit about unraveling his faith, how this comes out in his music. And he even tells us about a few awkward situations that happened post-bachelorette life and how he actually handles the idea of people knowing the innermost parts of him. The cool thing about Brady is that not only does he make music, but he actually released a podcast last year with the Liturgist Network. It's called the Unravel with Brady Toops, 
and he literally talks to guests and asks them really hard-hitting questions about things like creationism and sexuality and these hot-button issues in the church that divide us and are often the reason that a lot of us either deconstruct our faith or walk away from our faith completely. I had to listen to an episode and it actually felt like coming home because it was so honest. So after you've listened to this episode, if you really clicked with Brady and really liked what you heard, go and check it out. The first season is completely out now and it's really, really cool. That's the Unravel with Brady Troops. Before you hear our interview today, a reminder, you will hear a short bio. Consider it you're like Brady Troops 101. This is who he is, what he did and what he's released. It just gives you a bit of background and then you will hear our full interview cut in with some terrific tracks that he's actually chosen himself from his latest album to tell his story. So guys, enjoy. This is Brady Toops. When Brady Toops strode down the red carpet on the 2015 season of The Bachelorette, he became a household name for better or worse. Granted, churches everywhere fist bumped when he left the show to pursue the girl, but we all know that it's easy to love the hero who steals the girl's heart, and even easier to criticise the same person when they're going through the heartbreak. Members of the Batchy Nation know the story of Brady Troops well, but it's a disservice to keep him in a reality TV-like box. The truth is that Brady was writing his story long before millions of people witnessed a version of it on TV, and he's been penning a soundtrack to it as a musician since 2007. Growing up in New England, Minnesota, Brady thrived at sports. He was the quintessential all-American boy, a triplet, and seemed to excel at everything he did in and out of the church. He played minor league baseball with the Arkansas Razorbacks until he was 25, and then his life took a turn. He decided to throw everything at the wall and become a musician. For some people, this results in chaos and carnage. You only have to visit Nashville to see the struggle bus this dream prolongs for so many people. But for Brady Troops, it escalated into an impressive and compelling career. And as a self-admitted type 3 achiever on the Enneagram, he ensured every challenge became his success. Straddling the line between Christian worship and folk soul, Brady began touring his music across the country. He made the move to Nashville and dropped his first single, Can't Stop Lovin', in 2010. A Little Love and Lord Have Mercy followed. His EP, A Little Love, dropped in 2012 with Underspoke paving the way for his debut self-titled album in 2013. With tunes like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot and Blessed Saviour, Brady made his mark on the Christian music industry, scoring four out of five stars from New Release Today and Indivision Music for the album. He would go on to tour across the world, including Australia, and support artists like Drew Holcomb and The Neighbours and John Mark McMillan. Appearing as a contestant on The Bachelorette in 2015, it's fair to say Brady's whole world changed. Dealing with a public breakup, his next album, Tried and True, gave a nod to the sacred pain of heartbreak and revealed a deconstruction of Brady's faith. Leading into this, Brady partnered with the Liturgist Podcast Network in 2018 to record season one of The Unravel with Brady Troops, with guests including John Foreman from Switchfoot to Audrey Assad and the Shack's William Paul Young. He tackled the fundamental questions that divide people in the Christian faith and often separate people from it. I caught up with Brady from his home in Nashville. We had a chat about the semantics of unraveling a childhood religion, something a lot of us can relate to, how you recover from heartbreak in the spotlight and what it's like to deal with burnout. Brady's a cool guy. I think you're going to like him a lot, guys. Meet Brady Toops. So we'll start from the beginning. I know I'm asking you this literally as someone who knows of you but has never known much about your music. So if someone was listening like that, can you tell me 
how your journey as a musician started and when you fell in love with music. When I fell in love with music, well, some people say, when did you become a singer? And, and I, I'm like, well, when did I become a human? It just felt like it was like one of the most natural things that I've always, it's always been a part of me since I was a young kid. You know, I would walk around the house. I have two brothers and two sisters. We have a big family. And I would just walk around the house singing at the top of my lungs whenever I was happy. And whenever I wasn't happy, I wouldn't sing. And my parents would always know there's something wrong with Brady when he's not singing. My siblings would be like, Brady, shut up. We're so tired of you singing. And for me, it was kind of like 90s R&B was my jam. So Boys to Men, AC and JoJo, you know, like all these different, Brian McKnight, these artists in the 90s. I mean, I wanted to be a soul singer. That's uh, rhythm and blues. That, that was all I connected with, all I loved. My parents grew up listening to some Christian music, but I was in my bedroom just having Voice to Men CDs and singing all the harmonies to, uh, to all the songs. Nice. So, so I was mostly an athlete growing up as well. I played baseball, basketball, football. I ended up playing baseball high school and in college and professionally for a few years so that sort of took me the, the farthest and that was really my occupation in my life until I was about 25 at which point I got released from the minor league team within the St. Louis Cardinals organization that I was playing on and I kind of took about a year journey to figure out what I wanted to do uh, what I wanted the next season of my life to look like and I remember just continue asking, okay, what, like, what do I love? What, what, um, what do I, you know, I, I just begin to explore. And the hard part is I grew up in a really small town in Minnesota and there weren't a lot of creative ideas around what you could and couldn't do for work in your life. You know, like some people became doctors and some people became tax accountants and other people became teachers and, you know, there's a few others, but that was about it. And so I started dreaming about possibly being a musician, not knowing hardly anything about it, barely knowing how to write a song, not even knowing how to book a gig or make a record or anything. And I just thought, you know, the thing I love the most is music and singing and self-expressing in that way. And so I thought, well, why don't I give it a shot? Mm -hmm. At that point, I think it was 2007 or so, and I began to write some songs and had a few friends that knew how to make some records and just just thought, well, let's see if I can figure out one step at a time. And that basically lasted for the last decade. And I've been able to play, you know, I've traveled to almost every state in the United States and I've probably played in uh, maybe 10 countries around the world, and which is kind of mind blowing. I mean, I'm a baseball player of fakes and fakes being a musician. And I've gotten to see a lot of the world and play a lot of amazing places. That's awesome. I hear that. But the town that – the fact that I'm a journalist is a bit odd from my hometown too because everyone becomes a teacher or a nurse, which is awesome if you want to become then, but no. So I hear that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, did you, exactly. Did you set out to become a Christian musician or a musician who just happened to have a faith? I set out to write about whatever – impacted me the deepest and if you see the progression of my records 
throughout the last number of years, you'll sort of see a, a certain narrative unfold. And I think originally, in my early 20s, I had, I was really impacted by the teachings of Jesus. I was really impacted by some more charismatic expressions of Christianity, expressions that I felt I had some really beautiful mystical moments where I felt everything changed for me. Uh, I remember I was 22 and I don't want to go into it like super long, but I had a moment where I cried for two hours as I felt this divine love sort of wash over me and come through me. And it was probably to this day the most impactful spiritual experience of my life. I had grown up in mostly a performance culture. So whether that was sports or academics or anything, I learned that if you do good, you get love. And, you know, you, we could talk about an Enneagram speak. I most identify with the three. So three is called the achiever, the performer. And whether this is how I was born or what I learned, I don't know. But regardless, it felt really good when I hit a home run, people went, oh, wow, you're amazing. And I wanted to hear that you're amazing a lot more. So I tried to hit as many home runs as I could, you know, metaphorically. So uh, when I had this mystical experience in my early 20s, it was as if it was rewriting this code inside of me where I was loved just because I was loved, not because I did anything. And I attribute that experience to God and and somewhat in the narrative that I knew in Christianity in that season. Um, And that that experience has remained true. I mean, I connect with it deeply. I think the way that I would name that experience now would be a lot different in uh, my current context, maybe through the way I see the world or life or God. But that experience also unlocked so many things inside of me. Creativity, uh, the ability to express. um, And I began to write songs sort of out of that initial awakening. And most of my songs were about God or spirituality or, you know, I'd write like hymns or spirituals, because I really connected with some of the old Negro spirituals that were, you know, from the 1800s or whatever. You know, I, I, redid a, I redid a song on one of my early records called Swing Low Sweet Chariot, where I wrote a, a bridge to it. I've really always, always connected to those old songs, especially songs that were born in places of deep pain or this place where pain meets joy, the intersection. And I've always been fascinated by that because I've, I've known when I learned when I've learned to sort of face the pain and enter into the feeling it. The deeper I go, if I if I don't stop in the middle, but I usually come out on the other side and find a deeper gratitude or a deeper happiness or you know whatever you want, might want to call it. So I made a few records in that vein, and then. My late 20s, early 30s, I began to go through some massive sort of deconstruction or unraveling of the way I kind of saw the narrative I grew up in. 
sort of the evangelical Christian narrative or even the charismatic narrative, and I begin to question a lot of things. And I think initially the thing that I wrestled with a lot was the so-called sacred-secular divide. And I went, wait a second. This building, these people, this place, these rituals is apparently the only thing that's sacred or holy. And then when I leave this building and I go out in the world and I do my work or engage in different ways, that's not sacred. And I went, I don't, that doesn't feel right. Like it, it's either all sacred or it's not sacred at all. And I had experienced enough of the sacred to say, no, I, I think it is all sacred. And then there were some crazy experiences like going on reality TV, the Bachelorette show, and some heartbreak and all that. And I went, okay. I begin to connect deeply with creativity and music and even in some ways the divine through other types of means, like through writing sad songs about breakups and all that kind of stuff. So my last record called Tried and True was really it's really a singer songwriter record with some gospel roots, you know. There's something about the 90s voice to men and sort of the gospel element that even they embodied in a way that I can never get away from in my music. Uh, but I then began to write about relationships and my family and the whole gamut of emotions that I think we experience in the human experience. You remind me that life is a great expense to hold on to goodness to believe in a second chance and all the hard times that I never thought would leave I finally faded like the mist in the morning breeze to create your podcast unravel where, where did the one the idea come from but also the courage to create that come from you said I, I'm, I'm actually getting used to your accent right now oh, so sorry. <laughs> you said where did what come from and then the courage what was that word you said sorry where did the podcast like sorry um yeah where did the idea for the podcast come from obviously out of all of that stuff and the courage to create it uh, does that idea. make sense yeah you guys sometimes you guys have that idea or whatever you know you guys kind of put the r on the end of no no <laughs> it's I'm actually not, you guys who speak weird right. but yes that's correct <laughs> It's amazing. Wait, do we have the accent or do you have the accent? I guess that's the question. I had an American <laughs> once tell me that they didn't have an accent, and I was like, everyone has an accent. This is why America thinks it's the center yeah. of the world. Sorry, please keep going. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. So really the idea, or idea for the uh, podcast came, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was in Montana 
And I was on a fly fishing trip, and it was the first time in a long time where I kind of just had some space to breathe and kind of got out of the survival mode of playing shows and booking gigs and trying to keep this rat race going, you know. And I remember I was on the top of a plateau overlooking the big sky of Montana, and down below, just green and beautiful, which actually looks, looked a lot like Australia. I'd driven up the east coast of Australia, and that was, I mean, breathtaking. It was amazing. We saw we stepped in some of these outlooks, and you look down in the rolling hills and the trees. I mean, it's just it's phenomenal. So like similar landscape. And I remember there was a guy in the front seat who was a theologian. He was a professor of arts and theology at Pepperdine, which is a university out in California, I believe. And there was a guy in the back seat who worked in the entertainment industry, both good guys, and but both very different humans. And when I found out the the job of the guy sitting in the front seat, the professor, I went, oh, he must be pretty well studied. And so I'm kind of like an amateur, an amateur everything. So amateur theologian, amateur thinker. And I just like, I love to read. I'd love to ponder and sort of an amateur philosopher. So I, I begin to ask him sort of the hot button topics within Christianity. So I, I just wanted to see sort of where he stood, you know? So I went, you know, I kind of went right at like, so where do you stand in the LGBTQ conversation? Where do you stand in the uh, you know creation versus evolution debate? Where do you stand in the inerrancy or an infallibility of scripture idea? Where do you stand in substitutionary atonement? So, so uh, theories about the cross and the sort of meaning narratives behind what actually happened. So I, I kind of touched on a number of these things and he gave me just very beautiful, open, nuanced answers that weren't the stereotypical black and white answers, you know, that I received growing up. Like, well, Jesus died for your sins and you've got to uh, believe in his name to be, you know, whatever it is, you know, well, you know, God said it was six days creation and it was, you know, like whatever, or, you know, God called homosexuality a sin. You know, it wasn't any of those answers. It was very open handed and beautiful and nuanced and well thought of. And I was like, Oh, okay. I love this conversation because a lot of the worlds I think I'd grown up in Christianity was there was a couple people who had all the answers and they're usually on stage with a microphone. And if you disagreed with them, you oftentimes were somehow labeled um, trouble in a certain way. You know, it, it was like, okay, um, it's okay to ask questions, but if you come up with a different idea or a different answer than what we have, then you better be careful because Satan might be cheating, right? Some of the, oh, there was just, I mean, there was just so, so many like disastrous sort of, ideologies within that and and some some uh heavy-handed leadership who likes their position you know one of the things i think i appreciate about australians is that they i've heard of a thing called tall poppy syndrome so if you try to get too tall they'll knock you off your horse or something like that you know and at one level it's totally disastrous because 
we all need confidence, right? We all need to build our things. But also, at another level, it's kind of awesome. Like, I wish a few more Australians came to America so Americans could, Americans could like, get knocked off their horse a few more times because we think we know everything. We actually don't. <laughs> anyway, I mean, this is uncut, uncensored. So, I like Australians. Oh, sister, would you pray for me? Rogue it's hard and my faith grows weak When you pray I know God is listening Oh sister would you pray for me Love me pickup truck as we're sort of overlooking the plateau in Montana. As I was asking the front guy the questions, the guy in the back would give some of the stereotypical answers that I had heard all the time. You know, and so we talked about Genesis one and Genesis two and the different way to sort of see the creation story and then even the fall and sort of what was it? Was it original the original curse or was it original blessing or are we inherently good or are we inherently bad? This whole kind of thing and and the professor, I loved his answers. Um, it was more open and a sort of from a, like a love-based narrative rather than a fear-based narrative. And the guy in the back sort of gave me the, the one that I heard when I was 13 growing up in an evangelical church, you know. And we talked about heaven and hell and that kind of stuff. And, and I went, okay, you're two very different people who have two very different narratives within the Christian context. Both have have found certain meaning in them. Uh, one for me has been more helpful, one has been less helpful. But at the end of the day, I think what, what has been most helpful for me is the beauty of the conversation. And I remember reading uh, a quote by a 20th century Jewish philosopher named Martin Buber. He wrote a book called I and Thou. And he said this, when two people authentically and humanly relate, God is the electricity that surges between them. And I went, I felt that electricity. I felt that electricity when people open their hearts and they take down their masks and they reveal themselves in vulnerability and humanity and they talk about things that matter, right? And I, that electricity for me is such an addicting sort of feeling, that connection. So I went, in the midst of my deconstruction, deconstruction unraveling of sort of my narrative, the way I interpret the world and life and God, I had gotten to a point where the beginning of this process when it happened, probably, it probably took a course of five to 10 years, you know, you, there's disenfranchisement in church structures or leadership, or maybe some ideas don't make sense like they thought they, they, they used to, like, wait, the Bible is inerrant, but yet God told these people the Israelites to care, kill all of this other group of people, the Amalekites. And so I went, how can this thing line up? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. So however the unraveling happens, for me it happened in a multi, like 
multidimensional kind of way or through multiple means, but I began to experience such delusionment, such pain. Well, through enough reading and enough conversation and enough searching and enough whatever, I got to this point where I felt like I kind of got through the tunnel and I got to the other side. You know, one of the things I love about Richard Rohr, who was one of the authors that kind of helped me in this process, wrote a book called Falling Upward and Everything Belongs and all the other books that are amazing. He says that humans are primarily evolve and change through a couple means. One is experiences of great pain. Another is experiences of great love. And they're oftentimes two sides of the same coin. And he said, lastly, are experiences of ethnic experiences. So we, we step into a world that we've never been in and we see through the eyes. That could be a third world country. That could be a mystical experience. That could be reading a book that's written by an author. We have no grid for anything that they're coming, you know, their perspective, you know? And all that had sort of happened inside of me and I got to this point on the other side and I realized I had made peace with a lot of the pain and a lot of the breakdown that had happened in the losing of one's uh, I wouldn't say necessarily faith. I would actually say more paradigm. Because I think faith and uh, belief systems are two separate things. They often can be connected. But when I grew up in a world that says if you agree with this, this, and this, you get into the eternal paradise, heaven, and if you disagree, you're out, that was a really unhealthy way to exist. It's a really unhealthy way. Uh, it's a low-level form of religion, an agreement-based religion. It's also a very low-level form of friendship. So if you and I have to agree to be friends, then we're not going to be friends for very long, or we actually can only talk about 1% of the things that we maybe do agree on. You know, like ice cream is good, and you know, healthy food's bad. Or, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, I got to the backside of some of this process and I realized um, I found myself in a conversation where I didn't have as much of a dog in the fight. I don't know if you guys have that uh, metaphor or descriptor over in Australia, but it just basically means like, here's an argument that I would love to jump in normally. You know, when someone talks about politics, there are people Mm -hmm. who love to jump in. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not into politics. I just get bored with it. Okay. And other people can make an art. Other people will fight with me because I'm like, I'm not into politics. Look, you can't believe it. Anyway. <laughs> so, but in the whole like, uh, theological discussions or even Christian doctrine or that kind of stuff or church structures, I used to jump into those conversations super quick because I had a bone to pit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was like, I need to be right. And, or I had unreconciled pain inside of me. Well, I got to this point where I felt like I no longer had to jump and fight. And I wanted to help. And so I went, can I create something that people who are in this process, who aren't, or maybe are in structures or church systems of leadership that, uh, you know, would say they're crazy and they feel alone, Maybe there's a place they can come and feel like, oh, it's not crazy to question all the things you're questioning. You know, maybe maybe the conversation is more important than agreeing. And so really that's that's why I created the podcast, both to help people and because just selfishly, I love these kind of conversations. Okay. And, you know, I really did find it 
help a lot of people until I burned out and trying to do too much, like too quickly. You know, Preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm actually gearing up for season two, but I, I'm hesitating because it literally was so exhausting. I mean, I was putting 20 to 25 hours a week into this podcast, uh-huh. not seeing much return or not much return financially or much reward even in person because I found out I really love to be in front of people. And that's why I love playing music, and it's a, it's a place where I sort of come alive. And the podcast was fun, but I was hiding out in in my room in front of my computer in, a, in, you know, in my studio at home for hours and hours and hours a day. And for me, I'm a social type. I'm a social person. And that was cool for a minute, but I went, ooh, i got to change this because this, isn't, this structure isn't totally working for me. So I want to jump back into it, but I need to learn a more uh, – I don't know, conducive or a better fit how to go about it. Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh, yes. So I'm a six. So for me, it's not about – yeah. So for me, it's all about the anxiety that goes along with doing the podcast. And so that's why Mm. I just started doing it every two weeks. But every time I'm still like, but what about this? But, yeah, I completely get it because I'm like, so this is my paid work and this is my passion project. I think that's right. (laughs) So I completely get it. Um, You know, it's an interesting conversation because even in my music, I had to take a break in the last year because I think I just went way too hard. And there comes a point when, for me, I started music because it was literally the way that my heart sang. Like, we all have a song. We all have our own unique song that we sing into the world. And this is sort of a metaphor, you know? Some people write and some people uh, paint and some people um, drive trucks. And, you know, whatever that they do to sing their song into the world. Or, and, it, and it's less about what you do and it's actually more about how you do what you do. But I realized that for, for eight out of the ten years of my music journey, this the whole music career path, it was serving me. I mean, it was the thing that got me out of bed in the morning. I loved it. And then there was this point where it began to be the thing that kept me in bed in the morning. And instead of it serving me, I began to serve it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew I needed to make a bit of a shift. So I will hold it And I'm gonna hold on to the waters, through the river Jordan. So come on with me, don't pass me by. We're gonna make it to the other side. And every valley shall be lifted. Every mountain will be made low. break from our conversation to talk about one of our amazing sponsors. Do you create wedding videos, podcasts, ads, content, maybe even one of those slideshows while you're trying to move your church into the 21st century? Well, Soundstripe is the answer to all your problems. The ultimate music stock site made for video producers, they offer a great variety of high-quality royalty-free songs and have an unlimited licensing model. This is literally one of a kind in the industry. 
and that is because it was created by musicians. With a monthly or yearly fee, you have unlimited access to world-class music. We are talking composers like Aaron Sprinkle and Matt Winton. Every time you license a song through Soundstripe, the royalty goes straight back to the musician. With curated playlist, new music every week, and more than 30,000 special effects. This is the ultimate source of music for creatives. Trust me, I've been using this since day one with Between You and Me, and I can tell you that any background music you are hearing comes directly from Soundstripe. They are absolutely incredible. When you sign up for Soundstripe today, you can get 10% off using the code UMEPOD. That is soundstripe.com with the code UMEPOD. And now, back to the show. One of the beautiful things about the world we live in today is that there never has been greater access to the rest of the world by means or connection to the rest of the world. And so there's access via planes or other vehicles that can get you from one continent to the next fairly quickly, which is wild. And then there's access via, you know, the internet or TV where you can see other people in other worlds. Now, you can also close down and stay in your small town for the rest of your life and believe the same things you believe when you're five and, you know, never change. But the, world's, the world is moving and changing so fast that I truly believe that some of these ideologies, like the way that Christianity hates on the um, LGBTQ, you know, I plus or whatever, you know, how you call that, the way they hate on that group of people and they... Uh, call it like I don't know being um, being true to the scriptures is uh, it's a really disastrous ideology for a large segment of people but the truth is that the generation of people who believe those ideologies in 50 to 75 years will be dead and their ideologies will actually die with them and a whole new generation is growing up who really for the first actually isn't even going to church, actually isn't even finding the Christian, the modern Christian evangelical narrative relevant in any way. And they're uh, living and expressing a completely different narrative. And for good or bad, I mean, you can, you can say there's good things about that and there's things that aren't as good because in some sense, when people are, when kids are handed a meaning narrative that no longer is helpful, and they let it go, well, they're going to have to find another meaning narrative to live in in the world and to exist. But for for a generation that sees a certain narrative be so destructive, they usually swing the opposite side of the spectrum and say, well, any of that is is useless you know all of that is you know i i I see this element so that means it nullifies everything well that's not necessarily true uh but i do think that it is good in the sense that they won't carry on the destructive ideologies that are currently being carried on so i also think that the millennial generation which i guess i'm maybe the oldest part of that generation could use a a narrative that really connects them to the deeper elements or the or the or the, uh, the elements of life or spirituality whatever you want to call it because we have to still connect to that because 
you know, when you swing the opposite way and you say, oh, it's, there is no meaning. It's only, it's only drug, sex, and rock and roll. It's, we're animals. You know, the fruit of that belief doesn't, uh, doesn't produce something really great on the earth. So I have in my journey been less concerned with what idea is right and what idea is wrong. Now that's the world I grew up in, right and wrong, black and white, true or false, in or out. And I've been more concerned now with what is the idea and what does it produce in our life? And I think the hard thing about the millennial generation is that we are so inundated with screams and dopamine hits and comparison that mental health is probably, if not now already, will be the greatest epidemic in the history of our generation. So I think we'll figure out, if not we have it already, most of the diseases physically in the world. And we'll go, okay, we can figure out physically cancer and AIDS and all these kind of things. But then we have to, then, then there will come this point where we realize, oh, it's a tie to emotions. Oh, and emotions exist in the body. And then we go, okay. And I mean, there's people that already know this stuff, but I'm talking about like widespread belief in this sort of truth. And then we'll go, oh, that's actually connected to um, elements in the ego structure. And that's actually connected. That can be connected to the true self. And the true self is actually connected to God or source or whatever you want to call it. And we need to learn actually how to tap into or access this reality. Because if we don't, we're going to die in a different kind of way than our parents' generation died. Whether that's addictions, addiction to screen, addiction to drugs, addiction to highs, addiction to um, Instagram followers or whatever. So I think the pain of that in the millennial generation and younger will ultimately push them to find a, the deeper elements of life and have to find some kind of relief or alleviation um, from the symptoms that will happen in the pendulum swing of that culture, if that makes sense. I, I see that starting to happen to increasingly people, millennials and people our age, and especially, and even like younger now, are so much more socially aware than we ever were. And they're more plugged in, but they know more and they're just... You, you know, they can also, they can know more in their heads, but be just as unself-aware un as the previous generation. Oh my gosh, yes. And, and, you know, that's the thing. You go, like, that's why, you know, I don't care if somebody says to me, I don't believe in God. I don't care. You know, like, if you look at James 2 in the biblical narrative, you go, well, even the demons believe. So I think belief or unbelief actually does not matter. I could say, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. They could say, well, this God that sends gays to hell and this God that punishes people. I go, well, you know what? I don't believe in that God either, you know? So, and I go, well, you know, tell me about the most beautiful moment you've ever experienced. Tell me about the, tell me about the first time you knew what love felt like. I don't care if you call that God or not, but that experience is a gateway into something that can totally change your life. Like we live, you know, I've, I read a book by Marianne Williamson called The Return to Love. And I think in that she says there are two main uh, forces in the universe. One is love and one is fear. And when we live our life out of scarcity and fear, 
and you know the fruit of that life is not good and when we live our life out of abundance and love and gratitude the fruit of our life it and the experience of our life totally changes so whereas the previous generation might say um everything unto the glory of god our life in service unto the glory of god the next generation goes i don't even know if i believe in god like i don't even know what that means anymore but if they could get to living a life of gratitude uh born out of love and abundance in service to humanity i'm like uh they got it like they 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 got it and they go i don't know about this like thing about this worship worshiping this like dude with a like a white beard in the clouds or something on a throne but i do know that when i sit with myself in silence and i watch my thoughts and i feel my feelings and i tap into what i'm thankful for and i and i and i and i and i'm on a path of well-being and finding happiness then i'm like oh they're connecting to the thing in a different way even if they don't use the words the same words so that's like even that's where i'm at right now that's sort of me self-confessing where i go i don't know about all these words words are just words words aren't the reality when i say the moon it is not the moon it is the word moon so uh but i do know my experience of life changes when i have real practices in my life that help me connect to uh to the sacred that always is to the present moment that is always open and available and i think the thing is is the way that we see is often the way that we experience the moment so if we see the moment so if you see somebody as angry and hateful and vengeful like that's usually what you'll get from them but if you can see somebody as scared and hurt but there's this love underneath and you 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 the way you relate to them will actually change your experience of them and even oftentimes can change the way they interact with you so fascinating thing so i'm in a place in my life where i'm going well-being in my body uh and simple happiness uh gratitude these are the things that matter more than what i was handed in the religious context which was a belief system that you had to agree to or disagree to so back to the podcast i have a real heart to help people bridge the gap from meaning to meaninglessness back into a new narrative the way they see this whole madness that we call life and 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 try to help give them some new gateways or some really old gateways that we just now call new into experiencing the divine and it really has to in my experience what i found is it has to be practice oriented like it's no longer uh in and a christianity that exists mostly in the mind or mo- mostly in mental ideas is a christianity that actually needs to die it's either embodied or it's nothing love the idea of love is not love love is the reaching of the hand love is the picking up of baby 
love is the opening of the borders. Love is not um, come to the altar and and repeat after. Brother, sister, let us walk in love. Oh, gonna walk in love. Singing hallelujah, we shall overcome. everything from your songwriting to your podcast to even your time on The Bachelorette is that you live very, very vulnerable. Your To some extent, your heart is on your sleeve, um, for lack of a better term and a cliche. There's a real sense that you present yourself as you are and even as you're unraveling your belief system or you're going through relationships or you're trying to figure out what life means to you you're showing that to people and in some cases millions of strangers who have nothing to do with you how how do you cope with that and actually cope with the fact that to some extent your inner life is public knowledge Mm, yeah yeah that that was the massive struggle and in some cases trauma that I experienced in going on reality TV, a show that millions of people watch around the world. Uh, The glory of the three, when they sort of go up the levels into greater health, is that they enter into uh, their most authentic self. So in the unhealth of the three is is one who must perform or wear a bunch of masks because they think the mask is what gets them the love. I had an experience with the show where I realized that I had a lot of walls up inside of it for various reasons. You know, like we have, we have ego structures and we wear masks because there was a moment usually in our past that we had a painful experience and we said, I never want to experience that again. And so I'm going to do this thing to protect myself from feeling that. And I realized, you know, when I did the show, I was 33, I'm 37 now. I, I had to do all these sort of personality profile tests and the various things and meeting with a counselor. And, uh, and I realized in that process that I had a lot of um, a wall in front of my heart and a lot of masks that I was trying to Uh, switch in and out so that I didn't experience the pain of being misunderstood or not being loved or liked or, you know, all these kind of things. And through the pain of that experience, I realized that I needed to live from a deeper place. I had for a long time sort of been on this roller coaster of 
if you like me, I feel good about myself. If you don't like me, I don't feel good about myself. And I would go play a bunch of shows and I would go on tour for a couple of weeks and I would have this high and I would connect with people and it was all very sincere as well, but it was also feeding this sort of ego need within me to feel valuable and significant and loved. And because underneath that is sort of this thing, in the, if we're talking Enneagram speak, the three has a deep worthlessness that they sort of try to cover up in all their performing and achieving. And that facing that worthlessness is a really painful, painful thing. That's why criticism is really painful because it goes, uh, am I really what you say? Right? Am I really that bad? And even in the evangelical narrative with this sort of original sin idea, right? There's like, you're, you're terrible, right? Like your righteousness is as filthy as menstrual rags. Like this idea was like ingrained in him. And this is Jeremiah. Like this is the Bible, right? This is crazy stuff. So when I did the TV show, uh, The Bachelorette, I felt the mood swings like I had never felt them before in my whole life. And that was, oh, you love me, you love me. Oh, I'm amazing. And then one comment on Instagram or Twitter saying, hey, you're just in it to get your music out there to the rest of the world and be famous. I went, like, oh, damn, that hurts so bad. And because the truth is I did go on the show for a, a variety of reasons. I mean, anyone who does that show, you can't say you do it for one reason. You probably do it for 10 reasons, you know? And if you want to hide out, in a, in a, you know, in your bedroom and not be known by anybody, you definitely don't go on that show. So, you know, if you want to be um, a famous musician, you don't hide out in your bedroom either. You go, like, do the things you need to do to, like, do that thing. So, um, you know, I loved the adventure of it. I loved the possible romance of it. I didn't hate the idea of being in front of a lot of people. You know, like, all these kind of things are part of it. Uh but in the midst of that, because it was so painful and it was such a like a mirror for me to stare at my sort of shadow self in the face, I I was absolutely miserable going through those mood swings of being so identified by what people think of me. You know, I've heard it said, I'm not what you think of me. I'm not what you think of me. I'm not what I think of me. I'm what I think you think of me, right? So it's that kind of whole kind of crazy thing. And in that process, I also realized that I try to protect myself so much in so many relationships by existing primarily uh, with people in a mental connection, not a heart-based connection. Because, it, because yeah. I, I went, I went if, I, if I connect with my heart and then they reject me, then that's too much. And there was a moment where I was – a good friend of mine says this, and I was sort of hanging around him during the season, and he goes – the greatest pain in life, uh, he said, he said, nobody can reject you. Only you can reject you. And he said, the greatest pain in life is self-abandonment. When we choose to believe the rejection of another and in so doing, reject our own self, if that makes sense. And I had experienced that self-abandonment over and over and over and over again. And so, uh, your words about like me living vulnerable and like I very like very kind. Thank you. I'm still working with it. You know, I just learned now that better sort of practices and processes and how to work with my ego structure. And I've also learned that living 
in my masks or living mostly up in my head and connecting with people, not my heart. It's a very unsatisfying way to live. And it keeps me, um, it makes me feel very lonely in the world. So I, I remember, uh, during this time, during the show, I did feel very lonely. I was also very scared of being misunderstood. I'm less concerned of being misunderstood, which feels like a win. I still care a little bit, but I don't care a lot of it. And you can't be vulnerable with another until you learn how to first be vulnerable with yourself. And that takes self-awareness. And that takes, you know, a lot of things from, not, you know, realizing that you're not your thoughts, you're not your feelings, but also not bypassing them. Realizing there's information in the sadness, there's information in the anger, there's feelings that need to be felt. There's feelings underneath, feelings underneath, feelings that actually have trauma associated with them, with past experiences, and there's all these things that need to be dealt with, and faced, and experienced, and the the pain and the suffering of my experiences being so what you say like exposed, you know, because making a record. Uh, making an album and making a record, like you can kind of be vulnerable on record, but then you can get on stage, you can just perform like hardcore and just kind of like tell your cool stories and like look cool and everyone thinks you're awesome. But like there was nothing like reality TV and a heartbreak in a relationship that how, uh, you know, got to the core of the core of the core of me and had to, you know, force me to sort of face some of these things or just go on medicating and distracting myself. That was definitely possible. But I was at a place, I think, where I really wanted to wake up. Oh, I'm feeling like a pawn In this board you're playing on It's littered all with cages For birds who've lost their song Without love I've lost the reason And I cannot find the rhyme I feel my heart still beating, but my blood don't feel alive. Without love, I'm half a man. Without love, I'm all machine. And it's awful hard to balance when you're caught out in between the wages of your living. But a heart that helps you bleed. When's new music coming? Do you feel... Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> is, a that, good is that, question. is that, uh, when you're a musician, is that an annoying question or like a question that no. puts pressure on you? No, you know, I had a, a guy the other day reach out to me on Instagram and he direct messaged me and he said, you know, what, what's up in your world? Like, when do we get to experience some more music? And it's, it was really nice because I remembered, I've mostly taken a break from music in the last year. I've played only a couple of shows and I haven't written a song. I haven't done anything really. I worked on one song in, uh, I worked on a couple of songs. That's, that's not true. Last summer, last fall, I worked on a couple of songs. I've actually have a few things in my uh, in my Dropbox account on my phone that nobody's ever heard. It's actually a completely new direction, and I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. It may be a different band. It may be – I don't even know, okay? So this is like secret undercover stuff uh, that I haven't – it's not quite polished. It's not quite ready. I do want to come out with like a, 
a, I don't know, a three or five song EP or something in this new direction. But this guy reached out to me and he asked me, and I went, oh, I said, I've taken a break, and I don't know when new music's coming out. But it mattered so much to me because I realized my music does matter to people. Oh, yes. You know, a lot of, a lot of, I guess for me, I can look and see, okay, this is how many people follow me on the different networks, or this is how many Spotify plays I have, or this is how many albums I've sold. But those aren't faces in front of me, you know? And then there's a the few moments where you get to go on tour and you get to see these people and you get to see how it matters to them. But I haven't really been on tour for a year. I've only put a couple shows and I, I went, oh, I guess it does matter to them. I guess what I do, you know, in my bedroom with my guitar or piano, it really does connect. And that means the world. I mean, that's like, that's the full circle moment where I feel like music matters, where where the narcissistic self-expression meets somebody else's heart and you go, there's meaning in the self-expression. It's not just narcissism, you know, <laughs> yep. uh, that's really great. And we all know that like self-expression isn't all narcissism, right? But there are unhealthy parts and there are healthy parts. But, uh, I think I would like to make some more music and I'd like to play. There's something very, still very true inside of me that I enjoy it, but also, I don't know. I, I'm I'm okay taking a little break because I don't want to burn myself out again. I know that if I jump back into it, I need to learn how to do it in a new way, in a way that feels more sustainable to both my heart and my, I mean, I'm 37. I can't keep driving thousands and thousands of miles and sleeping on floors of apartments and like, making a few hundred dollars here and there. I mean, the struggle's real. I'm an independent musician. It may, like, my Instagram or my promo photos on my website may look cool and portray a certain reality, but um, it's it looks way cooler than it is, for sure. You should start doing <laughs> sponsored posts like everyone else from The Bachelor. You totally... Uh, I tried a few of those. I tried a few of those, and they just killed my soul. It was so hard. <laughs> Actually, as sad as that is, it actually makes me really happy that you, someone actually said that because I'm like, thank you. Man, it's like there's something about congruence. There's something about like the thing that you do and the thing that you are internally matching up. And then it got to the point where I was just like, you know, a few hundred bucks here and there is nice, but I just can't. I can't for my own soul's sake, it's just mm-hmm. too hard for me to exist and, and do that. Yeah. And feel good about myself, you know? Yeah. Sugar bear hair. So I tried to make it live on Through the pictures in my mind But I only saw the good things And they only get me blind Oh, cause when you lose a lover It ain't love you It's a feelings for another It's a rhythm in the blues But I ain't ready No, I ain't ready To give you up To free my soul And I ain't ready No, I ain't ready To close my heart to let you go 
questions. Love it. What's the weirdest question someone has asked you about being a triplet? The weirdest question somebody's asked me about being a triplet. I'm a twin, which is why I'm curious. Oh. Yeah. Well, the most common one is, do you guys read each other's? Yep. Mine. Right? Same. That's like all the time. Yes. And I go, you know, here's my answer. My answer is always, well, we're fraternal. We're not identical. And I think that that thing exists more when, when two people come from one egg versus when there's three separate eggs. I don't know. That's my answer. I, I'm identical and we can't read each other's minds. We just know each other really well. <laughs> there you go you know some people i say they they go okay i they say i say well i'm a triplet two boys and a girl they said are you identical I'm like, well, I, I'm people people <laughs> have good. asked me if i'm a siamese twin and i'm like no but thank uh, you for asking that's good that's yeah. good that's good um same vein what's the weirdest question or maybe strangest question you've been asked about your time on the bachelorette that you want um, to share. Strange, yeah, no, the strangest experience that I had was when somebody walked up to me in Israel. I was on a trip to Israel. Somewhere, maybe the Sea of Galilee or something like that. I'm so sorry. This was actually, this was crazy. They, they said, are you Brady from The Bachelorette? I said, yeah. And then they proceeded to give me uh, some relational coaching and give me their commentary about why my relationship with the girl that I dated, Britt, on the show didn't work out. And it, it was like the God card was thrown in there and some different things. Uh, and it was it was pretty wild. And the, my friends were around me in that moment, and they were literally just like open mouthed, couldn't believe what was happening. And I and I and I looked at her after you know a minute or two or five of this. Oh, and it was a girl. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was it was a mid it was a middle aged woman. Like, oh. And of course, because that's who watches the show. And I looked and I said, "Thank you, but what you're saying is not true. I have to go." So that was a little bit disconcerting, oh, for sure. Nice work. Because people, well, people think they know you. Of they course. think they know yeah. all the ins and outs. They think they know all the details. They think they know what's best for you. And I just, I can't with that idea. Oh, nice work keeping you cool in that one. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I could have done that. Externally, I was cool. But I was, I mean, it, it was, it was trouble. Oh was my gosh. Pretty hard. I'm so sorry on behalf of humanity. That's just awful. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Music question. What's your favorite album of all time? Wow. What a question. You can do a top three if it's easier. I remember when Coldplay's Ghost Stories came out. It came out around this time, I think we're talking about, we're referring back to. Uh, one of the saddest seasons of my life. And that record probably hit home with me deeper than any other record in a forest season. I mean, it was, it was my heartbeat. And Chris Martin and Coldplay, they're genius. So I'll just say that one. That's a good go-to answer. That's up there when people saying you too. So, nice work. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong, right? You can't no, go wrong. it's nice. Last question. If you could go back to 2006 and you'd just finished up playing professional baseball, you decided to take a, have a go at this music thing, see what you could make of it, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? 
Wow. I think I would say don't take yourself too seriously. Just be what you are as honestly and authentically as possible. Uh, get a few people to help you out because it's really hard to do it on your own. And when you do it on your own and you win, you're still the only one at the table celebrating. And when you lose, you're the only one at the table that's in misery. So learn how to delegate and don't, don't, hold, your, don't, don't hold your cards as tightly. But also I think I would say you're pretty awesome and go for it and dream big. And even if it doesn't work, it's the, the ride. The ride is going to be so fun. <laughs> I, got, I got this feeling everything's healing and the future's bright so come out don't miss your chance now it's time to break out to reunite let's get together get down tonight let's go wherever the beat is right everyone kind of feel the groove come and let it There you have it. That is what it is like being on reality TV and making music and deconstructing your faith and being Brady Troops. Thank you so much for having a chat with me, Brady. It was a lot of fun, even when we didn't understand each other's accents. So that was really cool. If you guys would like to connect with Brady, just everywhere at Brady Troops, B-R-A-D-Y-T-O-O-P-S. Very, very easy. Thank you, Brady. You can also pick up his latest album, Tried and True, on iTunes or wherever you buy music. You heard a lot of the tracks through this episode, so if you liked it, definitely check it out or give it a stream on Spotify. You can also hear his podcast, The Unravel, with Brady Toops, which I've talked a lot about because it is so good, but you can find that on all podcast platforms. There's not much else to wrap up today with, but to say thank you once again for tuning in. I love doing this with you and I'm so glad that we could all have a coffee or a drink with Brady. As always, I am Jess and you can connect with us at Between You Me Pod. We are especially active on Instagram, do a few throwbacks, some church kid stuff and we look at some of our favorite parts from each week's episode. So that's a lot of fun. Remember that you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, you name it. We are hopefully on there. And if we're not, let me know. We will work on it. Okay, that's it. I will see you guys in two weeks for another very special episode of Between You and Me. Until then, keep doing the hard things. They're worth it. Nothing can hold us back. Nothing can tear us apart. Not life, not death. Not the in-between, this is just the start Don't let them keep you down Don't let them push you out We were made to live To be fierce like lions Love and forgive
for listening to the Between You and Me podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to JesusWire.com.